So once again, we are doing our States of the Economy discussion. It's a monthly look at the economic picture across the country. And we are joined by CSBS senior economist Tom Seams. Tom, thanks for joining us again. Yes, thank you, Matt. All right, so in 60 seconds or less, what's the big story? The sorting hat. Do you remember the sorting hat from J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series? Yes. I think we're in the middle of a period where people, particularly those that were formally employed, uh, are still sorting things out, like child care, parental care, nervousness about the effectiveness of the vaccines, uh, the virus rearing its ugly head again, concerns about what the new work environment looks like, how to get to work. Um, So let me put it this way. Employment is growing, but not as fast as expectations. Why? Many businesses really want to hire workers, but there are countless stories of labor shortages. Why? And we got 25 states that have ended the $300 supplemental unemployment insurance benefit. Why? So I think the answers have to do with the sorting hat, or maybe we call it the employment sorting hat. Um, because these, you know, if we can answer these, there are really far-reaching implications with respect to uh, employment, inflation, economic growth, and monetary and fiscal policies. So in short, employers want to hire workers, but it's apparent there's not all um, of the previous workers that are ready to get back to work because they're still sorting things out. And perhaps... Um, the added unemployment insurance benefits are giving them more time inside the sorting hat. So that's interesting. You know, I, I hear this argument a lot about the unemployment benefits. And then I hear the, the counter argument talking about the types of jobs that are coming out. And maybe the employees don't want to go back to those types of jobs. Maybe a year away from work has had people rethink where they want to be. Is, is that part of it, too? Yes, Absolutely. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of rethinking going on and a lot of rethinking even about where I'm, I want to work and how I want to get to work and the kind of job I want to have and how many people I want to interact with. So yeah, it all plays into that. And before we get to the, to the more general information, I have to ask you about the big scary I word, uh, inflation. Uh, the Fed seems to be indicating they view uh, current inflation as temporary. Market economists keep revising up their guess about how bad inflation is going to be this year uh, in contravention to the Fed. And the stock market is just doing what the stock market does, going back and forth, not really deciding. So where do you view us in, in, in the inflation world right now? Yeah, it's it's something that we're definitely going to have to um uh, keep an eye on. It's something that may not just be transitory. And a lot of it has to do with this idea of the of the sorting hat. You got a lot of stories about employers that are um, offering big signing bonuses. There's wage pressures. And small businesses in particular, if they have to hire folks at higher wages, they're really going to have to pass that along to consumers with higher Uh, selling prices. And so inflation um, could be brewing now for down the road. In the immediate term, I don't see uh, a lot of problems, but, you know, that's the thing about inflation is it starts slow and it builds. And uh, 
it's uh, it's really one of those big risks I think that uh, we need to be concerned about and watch um, um, for future implications. So broader implications or 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 a broader look at the market. What are some of the good signs we see coming from the past month of data that we that we've seen so far? Yeah, um, I think you know when we start with jobs, uh, the unemployment rate is down to 5.8% in May. And that's two tenths lower than the average unemployment rate that we had from 1960 to February 2020 at the start of the pandemic. And it's actually the uh, same 5.8% is the average monthly rate ever since the Bureau of Labor Statistics started tracking this statistic back in 1948. And other good news is that jobs are growing at about uh, half million a month. I mean, that's a lot. In May, we had 559,000. It was a little less than what most economists expected, um, but still, that's a lot of people. And um, with more than 50% of those uh, coming in the leisure and hospitality sector. So, um, you know, that kind of shows that people are getting out and about again. And jobs are expected to continue, you know, at this pace or better throughout the rest of the year. So there's some pretty good news there um, on the jobs front. Um, some other good news is that with the manufacturing and the non-manufacturing indices, these are signaling strong economic growth. Um, the manufacturing index went from 60.7 to 61.2, so up 0.5. And anything above 50 is considered expansionary. And anything above 55 is considered expansionary booster plus. Actually, I just made that up. Uh, and anything above 60, I guess, would be like booster rocket expansionary. Wow. I mean, big numbers, right? I made that up too. Um, so anyway, it's, it's up there high. And the non-manufacturing index is even higher. It went from 62.7 to 64.0 in May. That's the single highest monthly reading since they started the survey back in 1997. And consider also that last April, April 2020, it was at 41.6. So you can see a um, big turnaround there. I do have one more, um, I think, strong economic data point I'd like to point out if I could. And that's the Beige Book Index. Are you familiar with the Beige Book? I am familiar, uh, and I know it's something that, that folks in the federal government love chatting about, so I'll let you go with it. <laughs> yeah, so the, the Beige Book is an oral collection, really, of anecdotal information, and each Federal Reserve Bank district, there's 12, they each put together um, a, a Beige Book, and it's really a qualitative assessment of economic conditions in these 12 regions of the, of the country. And they collect the information mainly through telephone surveys of business leaders and bankers and so forth. And it's done every six to eight weeks, and it's used by the Federal Reserve Board and the Federal Reserve Bank presidents um, in advance of their scheduled FOMC meetings. So they do it like six to eight times a year. It's not, not monthly, um, but it's also not bimonthly either. And so, you know, just a, a bit of old timer trivia for you. How did the Beige Book get its name? Um, 
it used to be the color of the report when it came back, when it, when it came out, um, back when everything was typed up and distributed and to be read only by those who need to know. So you would, you would have the beige book, they had other reports like the blue book and the teal book, and some of those are more secretive, but the beige book is one that's distributed uh, really through the financial press when it comes out. So it's on a, on a timetable. And it came out recently. Um, you know, the real benefit of it is that it provides us evidence on what's going on with the economic health of the economy in real time. So you're asking uh, business leaders questions like, what are your hiring and firing plans? What are your cost of resources? Do you plan to raise prices? Uh, what's happening with your raw materials cost? You know, questions like that. So it's qualitative, but a couple of economists got clever and they um, quantified the Beige Book report by applying scores to certain words that were used. Like if you use moderate, it meant one thing. If you use strong, it meant, you know, something better. If you use contracting, that was, you know, a, kind of a negative score. And they create this index based on the word. So it's really kind of a textual data analytics application. And they come up with a score. So currently, the National Beige Book Index has a score of 156.9. Now, that might not mean much to you. Uh, but somewhere between zero and 50 is probably the neutral level. Right now, the Dallas district is, is showing the highest score at 200, and the New York district has the lowest score at 67. And, but the big news here really is that the national number is at, at it, its highest level since 2018, and it's the first time the three-month moving average, which is currently at 130.6, has been above 100 since the pandemic began. So in other words, um, even though it's qualitative information really, uh, the economy appears to you know, be expanding overall at a pretty good clip right now. And we can see improvement that's probably going to occur throughout the rest of the year. You gotta leave it to economists to refuse to let something qualitative stay qualitative, right? Absolutely. <laughs> and not only that, but to put decimal points on it. <laughs> so, so I got to press you a little bit here because we're talking about two realities that are that are kind of butting heads, which is everyone's thrilled, the economy's expanding, manufacturing is expanding. You mentioned this this low unemployment rate, at least compared to average, but we're still talking about seven, eight million people or seven, eight million jobs that were there that aren't here anymore. And people are struggling to find people to work. And I'll, I'll give you a number that I saw that that really surprised me. Is someone told me that the that the cybersecurity job unemployment rate right now is functionally zero percent. If you have a cybersecurity credential, there's a job for you, and people are desperate for them. Why are there not employees there? Uh, you might have covered this a bit already, but what, what, why are there not the employees that people need? Yeah, it goes back to my kind of sorting hat idea here i think that's going on and you're absolutely correct there's 7.6 million jobs um uh, we're 7.6 million jobs shy of the peak of where we were uh, what 15 or so months ago and if the economy had been growing you know throughout this last year 
we're probably closer to about 10 million jobs lower than where we should be. So we still have a long way to go on the employment front, and that's kind of the bad news. And I think really the main bad news in here is that businesses want to hire. Uh, they, you know, they they say they want to hire, but they also say that they're having difficulty attracting and retaining these qualified workers, especially, like you said, for those that are super in demand, cybersecurity, data, data analysts, data scientists, those kinds of things. And unfortunately, the longer this lasts, the longer it's going to take us to get out of this quagmire that we've been in. Um, in the last Facebook survey that I mentioned, there were a lot of references to labor and material shortages. Uh, they mentioned difficulties in finding workers, and they seemed to be mostly, uh, which may be surprising, mostly in skilled trades, uh, truck drivers, and hourly workers that you might find um, mainly in construction and manufacturing. Um, some businesses reported that as a result, they were not able to increase production to what the demand was on the, uh, on the other side of the business. And some of these are considering how can we automate such work, work that they thought they would probably not look at automating um, previously. And there's also stories of large signing bonuses being offered. Uh, that's going to raise wage pressures. And again, that could spill over to higher inflation, you know, particularly in the long term. Uh, there was a report that came out this morning from the NFIB. That's the National Federation of Independent Businesses. And they, they do a small business optimism index. And they reported that a record high 48% of small business owners in May had unfilled job openings. And that stat is 26 percentage points higher than its long run historical reading of 22%. That's really high. So in short, owners of small businesses are really grappling with trying to find workers. And in my opinion, this will ultimately lead to rising wage pressures and these higher costs will almost certainly be passed along. Um, and that's called inflation. Uh, the number one single greatest problem that the NFIB survey participants um, indicated was the quality of labor. 26% of respondents mentioned that as number one. Taxes was number two at 22%. Government regulation was number three at 13%. So that kind of puts it in um, perspective. So with such a chaotic uh, recovery with so many different indicators and so many different new and unprecedented challenges facing uh, regulators, what should they be looking at right now in the coming months to to help ensure that their local economy stays uh, stays growing and, and flourishing? Yeah, well, regulators always need to be thinking about, you know, the potential risks and what kind of risk mitigation might be able to be put in place. I think right now for the short term, the risks to the U.S. economic growth, you know, are pretty minimal. I think we're going to see really robust growth in the second quarter on the lines of like nine to 10 percent GDP growth on an annualized basis. That's big, really big. Um, and there's a lot of monetary and fiscal stimulus that's feeding a lot of this. It's been, you know, pumped into the economy over the last year from both the federal government and from the Federal Reserve. That's feeding and uh, spending and investment and growth. And there's always, you know, 
concerns about what that might do. You had mentioned the stock market. That's up 25% on a year-over-year basis. Um, housing prices are up 13% on a year-over-year basis. And I've heard some raw materials like lumber and others are up more than 100% on a year-over-year basis. So um, these are risks that need to be examined. And, and you know, how are uh, some of the bankers um, handling businesses that they deal with that have to deal with uh, these kinds of maybe rising raw in- raw material inputs and so forth. Um, and then, you know, how are employers going to be able to attract and retain new workers? What are the risks with that, with maybe rising prices or skill mismatches or um, just changing behaviors of um, people that uh, are going back to work and, and kind of how they want to do it and what kind of work they're willing to do. Uh, we had talked also about the supplemental unemployment insurance benefits. And I just wanted to point out that uh, there's an estimate that 25% of unemployed workers receive the benefit, uh, that receive the benefit are getting more from the benefit than if they were to work. Now, some people see that as, well, that's not too high. And other people see that as, well, that's, you know, higher than it should be. And there's good news and bad news in that. The good news is it gives them more time to find the right job skills fit for themselves. But the bad news is that it might be slowing down job and economic growth. And so what's interesting here is we've got 25 states that ended this supplemental benefit. And so we're going to have a nice natural experiment about to play out right in front of our eyes um, between the states that have ended this and the states that haven't and what's, you know, what's going to happen in uh, those different environments. And so hopefully that will lead us to um, learn how to translate things into a better policy response next time that uh, we come up with something like this. Um, so, you know, just kind of finally, I think there's uh, something I mentioned last month was supply chain disruptions. And I think that remains a real key risk right now. And those could be external attacks, you know, by those that want to hurt us economically. They could be panic attacks by consumers that, you know, suddenly, uh, you know, want to have a whole bunch of toilet paper or something and there's shortages or gasoline or whatever it might be. They could come from weather-related events and disrupt the supply chains. They could come from policy missteps. Um, but we, we need to have plans. We need to have plans on how to deal with those sorts of things. And so this is something regulators need to keep an eye on, just kind of understand that those risks are out there and that when these hiccups occur, sometimes it takes time to work them out. I think we've seen with the cyber attacks in particular, um, these can be uh, very damaging. And it really, you know, cyber attacks remains one of the top concerns that our community bankers have revealed in our quarterly community bank sentiment index. And hey, speaking of that, I may as well do a shameless plug. We're uh, we're right in the middle or in the beginning stages really of the uh, second quarter community bank sentiment index survey. And so I invite all community bankers to participate and provide us feedback before that closes at the end of the month on June 30th. 
yes, please, community bankers, give us your insights. Uh, it really, really matters. And going back to the unemployment benefit, something that uh, CSPS folks always like to say, uh, the states are the the laboratory of democracy. So I'm excited to see what happens next. And I'm excited to hear you tell me in the coming months exactly what's going on. So thank you so much, Tom. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Matt.